Okay, praises be to our loving Abba that we are able to gather once again to study his book, to study his words, and we're excited today to talk about the fourth seal of the book of Revelation. As you already know, we are engaged in the study of the seven seals, which are events to take place uh, during our time, uh, during the Christian era. We talked about the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, and last week, of course, was about the uh, black horse, or and we know that the fulfillment of the black horse, or the fulfillment of the third seal, was feudalism and serfdom. And so when you can, if we go and look at the sequential events depicted by the seals of the book of Revelation, we find corresponding historical events that also succeed one after the other in sequ sequential fashion. And so the first seal that was fulfilled in the papacy, 534 AD, this is when Rome was victorious, I should say the pontiffs of Rome, the popes of Rome, the bishops of Rome became the recipient of papal powers to be head over the all over the whole church. And so the papacy, the papacy supremacy was given to Rome, that was 534 AD. 800 AD was the fulfillment of the second seal, which is, of course, the use of terrorism. 1000 AD, which we studied last week, was the fulfillment of the third seal, feudalism and serfdom. So today we're going to look at the fourth seal and look at historical events to see if there's a match that, uh, that connects the events of the fourth seal with the historical events of the past. And so let's read the book of Revelation 6, 7 to 8. This is what it says. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fort of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. And so that's the fourth seal. The fourth seal depicts a pale horse. Remember the first seal was the white horse followed by the red horse and then the black horse. Today we have the pale horse and the rider of the pale horse was named Death and Hades was close behind. So Death and Hades, as we know, they're connected together. And so this is not a happy event at all. This is something that will bring about the death of many people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the rider of this horse is going to have power over a fourth of the earth. And so he will have power to kill by sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, before we go look at the details of this prophecy, I just want to comment concerning the pale horse, because the first horse was white, and then red, and then black, black, now we have pale. But does it actually have a color? Well, if you look at the Greek word, used, uh, which is translated pale. It's actually the Greek word chloros, the Greek word 5515, which actually means green. So it's a pale green color. This is why in our uh, graphic, we showed you a pale green horse. And so we have a white, and then a red, and then a black, and then a pale green horse. And so the fourth seal is going to have death sitting on it, 
Hades will be following him, and power is given to him over the fourth of the earth, and that's a lot of power. Power to do what? To kill by different ways, by sword, by famine, by plague, by the wild beasts of the earth. And so that's what the fourth seal event is going to look like. We're going to look at the explanation of what this means, but before we go ahead and do that, like what we have done in our previous episodes, we're going to contrast this and compare it with what some other interpreters of the seal events of Revelation has come up with. And so we will look at the Last Chronicles, a website, the Last Chronicles. And when you click on the fourth seal, this is what they say about the fourth seal. Let's look at what they have to say. Let us continue studying the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what happened when our Lord Jesus Christ opened the fourth seal. And so they read Revelation 6, 7 to 8. I'm not going to read that because we already read it. The explanation is at the bottom. The fourth seal is the era of the pale horse. This period was grim because the rider was named Death and Hades followed him. He was given power over a fourth part of the earth. He kills through the use of sword, famine, plague, and even with wild animals. One, take note at the interpretation here, the explanation. One of the root cause for all of this is the resurrection of the two witnesses of God. And so according to their interpretation, the two witnesses of God, which is mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 11, represents the two testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament of the Holy Scriptures. And so the resurrection of the Old Testament and the New Testament, according to the last Chronicles, when was that fulfilled and how was that fulfilled? Let's keep reading. According to history books, when was the Bible resurrected? So according to the last Chronicles, the Bible died. Supposedly the Bible died for three and a half years and it was resurrected. And how was it resurrected? Who did this and why? In the world's great events, they read volume four from 1508 to 1688, this was recorded. Luther, we're talking about Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, uh, who preached the word of God uh, in the 17th century. Luther applying uh, the word rock to Christ contended that he, Christ, was the sole and absolute head of the church. Following summer, Luther published a few pages of an address to the Christian nobles of Germany in which that strong, blunt speech that he was noted for, he characterized the sea of papacy as a devil's nest. His work on the Babylonish captivity of the church followed in autumn. There he lived for about a year, distinguished as a knight or disguised as a knight because he was hiding from Catholic persecution, wandering, hunting, and riding. During this retirement, uh, he began his great work, the translation of the Bible into German. Before he left Wartburg, he had finished the New Testament. And so how was the Bible resurrected? The two witnesses, the Old and the New Testament, how were, were they resurrected according to the last Chronicles? When the Bible was translated from Latin to German. And so when that happened, according to them, there was a resurrection of the Holy Scriptures. And they go on to say, and read Acts 2.31, he foreseeing this, 
spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, if his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. Hades, then, is the place for dead people or the grave. Therefore, the rider of the pale horse will carry out cruel and vicious massacres. The reason for this is the resurrection of the two prophets, the Old and the New Testament of God, through Martin's, Luther's translation of the Bible from a dead language, Latin to German. And so because of the resurrection of the, the Bible, when it was translated from Latin to German, the Catholic Church became enraged. And so what they did was to kill people, to viciously massacre people, which is why when you read the uh, Revelation chapter 6 about the fourth seal, it mentions Hades or the grave. Because Luther had exposed the truth, many Catholics were awakened and joined the protesters, thus becoming Protestants. Those who can afford to buy the Bible read, read it hidden in catacombs. They secretly established prayer meetings. The Inquisition that exterminated heretics in the 13th century was intensified in the 15th and 16th uh, centuries during Luther's time. Therefore, Luther's revelation of the false teachings of the Catholic Church, especially the foundation of the true church, brought great humiliation to the papacy and the Catholic Church. Uh, through swords and plague, this is a religious war, as mentioned in the prophecy, they have killed countless lives. And how cruel were these killings of the Inquisition? Let's take a look at a testimony in the book, The Truth About the Inquisition. And so according to the explanation of the last chronicles, because many Catholics became Protestants, the Catholics underwent what they call the Inquisition, where they systematically put to death countless numbers of people's lives. However, when we look at this event, it seems very far-fetched that the event of Revelation chapter 6, depicting the fourth seal, connects with this historical event with Luther translating the Holy Bible. There seems to be no connection whatsoever. And so what is the conclusion of the last Chronicles? Well, according to them, uh, during the period of the pale horse, God resurrected his two witnesses through Martin Luther, who had translated uh, the Bible into German from Latin or the language, the resurrection of the Old Testament and New Testament was to prepare them to ascend on the cloud or messenger of God. We will have a detailed discussion about this in the sixth seal, the papacy, okay? The papacy in the Catholic Church were the fulfillment of the man riding on a pale horse with the name Death and Hades following follow him. What does this mean? Why was the papacy in the Catholic Church called Death and why did Hades or grave follow them? This quote, Revelation 2014, then Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Clearly, uh, the Catholic Church and its members are doomed to be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan. This is the message of the pale horse and its rider. This truth must come to the knowledge of all those who were deceived by Satan and his church. So to conclude, the last Chronicles teaches that the fulfillment of the rider of the pale horse is the Catholic Church and the papacy. The pontiff, the Roman pontiff, and the Catholic Church. And the killing corresponds to the Inquisition. And those who follow this writer, this writer of the pale horse, are going to go to hell 
or will be cast into the lake of fire. And so do we accept this interpretation of these, the fourth seal of the book of Revelation? I personally don't because there's no connection between the two witnesses of Revelation 11 and the supposed resurrection of the Old Testament and New Testament because according to the last Chronicles, the resurrection of the two prophets, the Old and New Testament of God through Martin Luther's translation became the fulfillment of a prophecy. But when we look at the prophecy in Revelation 11, when we look at the two prophets, the two witnesses in Revelation 11, do they pertain to the Old Testament and the New Testament? We studied this in the past. Let's look at it again, Revelation 11, 11 down to 15. But after the three and a half days of breath of life from God entered them. Want to pause it for a while? For how long were the two prophets killed for? How long did they remain dead? Not many years, but three and a half days. And so is there something in history that teaches that the Bible died for three and a half days? I don't see that in history. This is why it's really far-fetched to believe that the fulfillment of the two prophets or the two witnesses mentioned here are the Old and New Testament. It doesn't, it does not follow. It does not connect with anything in history. What else? And they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. And they heard a voice, a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed on a pause there again. So if it's true that the two witnesses represent the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this was fulfilled when Martin Luther translated the Old Testament and New Testament into German, then at that same hour, there's supposed to be a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. Was that fulfilled in history? Does it connect with the time when Martin Luther published the translation into um, German? I don't see a historical connection there. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, the third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And so according to Revelation 11, the event wherein the two witnesses die and are resurrected after three and a half days, that event takes place after the sixth trumpet of the seventh seal. Did you get that? It's going to take place at the sixth trumpet of the seventh seal before the seventh trumpet is sounded. And so if Revelation chapter six, wherein we're talking about the pale horse took place in the fourth seal, well then how can it be that that was fulfilled back in the uh, fourth seal event? There is no connection. The sixth, uh, the event in Revelation 11 concerning the two witnesses, that doesn't take place until long after the fourth seal. This is why it's, talk, it's not talking about the same event. And so, not only that, but according to the last Chronicles, the papacy in the Catholic Church is the fulfillment of the man riding on the pale horse. You see that? 
But in the in also their same study, they also said that the dark horse, the black horse, it also symbolizes the Roman pontiff and the priest of the Roman Catholic Church. And so the pontiff or the pope in the Catholic Church is the rider of the pale horse and the rider of the black horse. That again, that does not add up. It does not, um, it does not connect well with the teachings of the Holy Scripture. This is why we need to look closely at the Scriptures. Furthermore, the last Chronicles uh, fails to find any historical connection to what is mentioned here, power over a fourth of the earth, and also killing by sword, by famine, and by plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. You see, whenever the Bible records a prophecy, the details of the prophecy must be investigated because Yahuwah does not place anything that has no relevance. Everything in the Holy Bible, even the fine details of Scripture, has a purpose and has a meaning. This is our belief as members of the Assembly of Yahushua. So let's go ahead and take a look at how the fourth seal was fulfilled. Is there a historical event or historical events that match with the details of this prophecy? Before we do that, we need to first identify the rider on the pale horse. It is given a name, death and Hades. And so we know there's going to be a lot of death when these events depicted in the fourth seal is going to be fulfilled. Death, we know what that means. Hades, what does that mean? Because Hades is going to follow death. Well, let's go take a look at the Greek word used, translated for Hades or hell. It is the Greek word 86, which means, uh, which is translated Hades. And what is the meaning of that? It means the realm of the dead, the grave, or death. It is logical that when you have death, you also have gra a grave following you behind. So there's a lot of death. And there's a lot of people going to their grave. And so during the fourth seal, death and the grave have power over the fourth part of the earth. And with that power, they will kill with sword. They will kill with famine and pestilence and the beasts of the earth. And so we need to look closely at the kind of power, the kind of killing that will take place. Let's look first at what is mentioned here. They will kill by sword. A few weeks ago, we studied about Revelation 6, 3 down to 4, which is the second seal. In the second seal, it mentions killing by the sword. I want to compare the second seal and the fourth seal, if that's okay with you. We're going to put on the screen. On the left, you will see the second seal. On the right, you will see the fourth seal. And I want you to compare the word sword that is used there. In our previous studies, in the second seal, uh, the sword that is used is makaira, which actually means a large knife. We studied this before when we looked at the red horse, remember? And so the second seal is on the left, the fourth seal is on the right. Both uh, seals mention killing by the sword, although it is translated in English, killing by the sword. The Greek words are actually different. And there's a reason why the Greek words are different, because if it was the same kind of event, then they should have used the same Greek word, but they didn't. If you look at the second seal event, right, it mentions killing with a great sword. 
but the sword used is actually makaira or a large knife. However, when we look at the fourth seal and it mentions to kill with sword, the word sword or the word that is translated sword in Greek is not makaira. Instead, it is romphaya. And what is romphaya? It means a large sword. And so the two seal events, seal number two and seal number four, are using two different weapons when they use the phrase killing by the sword. Uh, the second seal uses a large knife, and the, the fourth seal uses a large sword. And so two different um, weapons for killing. Not only that, there's also a difference between the second seal and the fourth seal when it comes to the verb to kill. Because in the second seal, when you look at the word to kill, the Greek word use, right, is spatso. It's spatso. What does spatso mean? Uh, this word kill, spatso, is used 10 times in the New Testament in all 10 cases. This word is not used to mean kill in a war, but kill on an individual level. It is used not in wars or massacres, but in homicidal situations. And so the word to kill, using the second seal, does not pertain to war or massacre. It pertains to something else. So that's the second seal. The word kill used is spatso. When we look at the Greek word used for Revelation 6, 7, 8, the fourth seal is different. Yes, they're both translated kill, but the Greek words are different. And that means something. And the Greek word that is used is not spatso, but apokeno. And when you use the Greek word apokeno, it is often used when it's referencing war. And this is what we studied in looking at the seal to event. And so we know that the words makaira, large knife, and spatso to kill in the second seal are used in individual killings and not used in war situations. And this is different in the fourth seal. With the fourth seal, the words romphaya, large sword, is used, and apokteno, kill, in the fourth seal is often used to describe killing in war or massacre. And so we can see the event in the fourth seal where it mentions killing by the sword it's not the same killing by the sword mentioned in the second seal. In the second seal, how was it fulfilled? Terrorism. And in the fourth seal, this is warfare, world domination, killing by the sword using the words rompaya and apokteno. And so that's the event, okay? killing by sword, that is warfare. And so when we look at the rider of the pale horse, there's going to be a lot of killing, and the person riding on this pale horse will have power over the fourth of the earth, and they will do one by one, and we believe this is sequential. They will kill first by the sword. This is warfare. And then they will kill by famine. Okay. After that, they will kill by plague. But I want you to take a look at the word B-Y plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Because when you look and you read this initially, it seems that there are four different events that will lead to a lot of death, right? When you look at this passage, 
killed by the sword, warfare, killed by famine, killed by plague, and then killed by wild beasts of the earth. But in actuality, it's only depicting three events, killed by the sword, warfare, killed by famine, and killed by plague. The word used when it says plague and by, the two-letter word by, in Greek, that word is very significant according to Vincent's word studies with the beasts in Revelation. The preposition hypo, which is by, is used here instead of in or with, indicating more definitely the actual agent of destruction. This is why it's important to look at Greek verbs and Greek prepositions because they have a lot of meaning. It sheds illumination in our understanding of the text. Because sometimes when we look at the Greek, or when we fail to look at the Greek and they translate it to English, there are nuances of meaning that are lost in translation. This is a good example, right? The word hypo is used by instead of in. Why, why is it significant? Because this tells us that the plague has a cause for why people are dying. And so it tells us an actual agent of destruction responsible for the plague. And so an actual agent of destruction is depicted in Revelation 6, verse 8. This is why when you look at plague, it uses the word by, by, because it tells us the agent of destruction. Who are they? The wild beasts of the earth. And so the events of the fourth seal are basically three events. The first one, warfare, followed by famine, followed by a plague. And what will cause the plague? It is the wild beasts of the earth. So far, so good, right? Okay, now what does it mean? That wild beasts of the earth will bring about a plague or pestilence. When we look at the Greek word for plague, or for the Greek word for wild beasts or beasts, this is what it says. It's the Greek word uh, 2342. Therion. What is the meaning of the Greek word therion? Turns out, when you look at the meaning, it means a little beast. <laughs> a little beast or a little animal. And so it's a small animal like a rodent or a rat. And so what we have so far concerning the fourth seal event, according to the Greek insight that we are able to obtain, what we know is the fourth seal depicts a series of sequential events that will bring much death. Death would be brought about by number one, warfare, number two, famine, and number three, by plagues brought on by little animals. So far, so good? Okay, and so we're going to look if there's going to be a historical match with the details of this prophecy. But before we do that, According to the scriptures in Revelation, the rider on the pale horse will have power over a fourth of the earth. That's significant because it's added into scripture. And so when we look at the fulfillment of the fourth seal, we can say the fourth seal depict a series of sequential events, one after the other, which brings much death. Death would be brought about by number one, warfare, and then famine will follow, followed by plague or pestilence brought about by little animals. And these events, take note, will affect a fourth 
of the earth. And so that's what's going to happen according to the book of Revelation when the fourth seal is open. Question, was this unveiled? Is there something that we can look back to in history and say, you know what, without a shadow of a doubt, this prophecy, this seal indeed was already fulfilled. But if we will look for a historical correspondence to the details of this, prof uh, this prophecy, we know it must follow the timeline of what we have studied so far. Because so far we have 534 AD, papacy, 800 AD, Islamic terrorism, 1000 AD, feudalism, and serfdom. And so what's going to happen next is death, right? Because the writer is death. Of course, it's not, it is a symbolic writer. It represents death, a lot of death. And this death is going to be brought about by war, famine, and pestilence. And so we're going to look at historical events after 1080 that match what is mentioned here in the Holy Scripture. War, famine, pestilence. Was this fulfilled? Well, let's go ahead and take a look and examine history by looking for warfare or war that brought about a lot of death and also had power over a fourth of the earth. Well, was there a historical event of that nature? Yes. I think a lot of the history buffs over here, those who do well on game shows like Jeopardy, will probably know the answer. We know it has to be after 1000 AD. Was that actually fulfilled? Well, yeah, it was fulfilled in Genghis Khan. How many here are familiar with Genghis Khan? Maybe I can ask my daughter. Are you familiar with Genghis Khan? No. Remember the great Mongol Empire? There was a war of domination that was initiated by Genghis Khan and the great Mongol Empire. And he left a legacy of world domination in world history. We're going to look at world history, the one that kind of stands set apart and when it comes to world domination was Genghis Khan. And according to the book that we've been studying, the Mongol invasion in the 13th century uh, is said to have reduced China's population by 35 million. That's a lot of people. Northern China was the most populated part of China back then, and only a quarter of its population survived the Mongol invasion. The population of the Jin Dynasty was 50 million. According to the census in 1195, with the Mongol invasion, it drastically diminished to 8.5 million and caused a major southward shift of population in China. ABC News uh, once cited Matthew White's The Great Big Book of Horrible Things, the, defini the, the uh, definitive chronicle of history's 100 verse of atrocities in which he lists the tragedy of approximately 40 million people having been killed by Genghis Khan's army between 1206 to 1227. So it's after 1000 AD, right? The New York Times also referenced the same book to report that 11.1% of the world population had died from the Mongol invasion. This is to say, if the Mongol invasion were to have happened in 2016, with its estimated population of about 7.4 billion, a death toll of 11.1%, that equals 820 million people. And so this was a significant event, the invasion of Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire, their domination of the world brought millions of people's lives and they were killed. And how much 
influence do they have? How much power do they have over the face of the earth? On the 23rd of September 1215, almost four months after uh, Beijing fell back in the Mongolian heartland, a royal child was born who, as Khan of Khans, the great Khan, would accept the challenge of Genghis' impossible vision and do more than any other leader to make it a reality. With an authority that reached, albeit shakily, from the Pacific to Southern Russia, he would become the most powerful man who had ever lived, who would ever live until the emergence of the modern superpowers. He would uh, hold nominal sway over one-fifth of the world's populated land masses, perhaps half of all humanity. His name would spread far beyond the areas he conquered to Europe, uh, to Japan, to Vietnam, to Indonesia. Uh, those sea cucumber ga gatherers harvesting their delicacies off northern Australia would perhaps hear of his attempt to invade Java in 1292. It was the legend of his wealth that two centuries after his death, would inspire Columbus to head westward on a voyage that ended not in a new route to the ancient land, but in the chance rediscovery of one long forgotten. Had he not existed, had there been no Mongol Empire in China, who, I wonder, would have rediscovered America. And so according to history, the Mongol Empire and its vast expansion and domination over the world was able to take over land masses. And when you look at the map of the world and how much territory they got for themselves, here's a depiction of it by 1279. They basically occupied most of the territories of the world. And according to the World Factbook from the CIA.gov website, according to this uh, website, According to various sources, the largest Mongol empire thrived at Kublai Khan in 1279. The conquered area then amounted to about 12.7 million square miles or 33 million square kilometers. So at the height of the Mongolian uh, powers, when they expanded and dominated the world, at the height of their power, they conquered 33 million square kilometers of the landmass of the earth. You know how big that is? Well, the entire Earth, the entire land area of the Earth, excluding Antarctica, because nobody, nobody really lives in Antarctica, was calculated to be 134,940,000 square kilometers. And so now we can do some math. What percentage did the Mongolian Empire have over the total land mass of the Earth excluding Antarctica. Well, if they occupy the territories which represent 33 million square kilometers, and we take that number and divide 134,940,000, right, what number uh, do we get? We get 24.5%. In other words, it is one-fourth of the Earth. A fourth of the Earth. And so when we look at history, there indeed was an event that took place after 1000 AD that corresponded to killing using the large sword, which is warfare and massacre. And this was fulfilled 1279, the Mongol conquest. Well, if this is true, then we can expect that shortly after 1279, there's going to be a famine, there's going to be a pestilence. 
Is, was that fulfilled? Let's look at history again. Back in 1315, from 1315 to 1317, there was a great European famine. And the major cause of the famine was the peculiarly abundant number of torrential rainfalls that persisted and destroyed cropland and soil throughout Europe. The great famine struck the European societies in the early 14th century. So there was a great famine. This is a, a very famous famine in the history of Europe. And this took place 1315 to 1317. But not only in Europe. After 1317 and 1333, there was also a great famine in China, which caused the lives of many, many people. And after 1330, uh, 1333, about the same time, there was also a great famine in India. And so we had a great famine in Europe, a great famine in India, and a great famine in China. These are great land masses all over the earth. And the regions affected by the devastating famines were extensive to cover the fourth part, part of the earth. And so death and Hades had power over in killing by famine. And so we see this was fulfilled from 1315 to 1337. You see these sequential events. When we look at the timeline from 1279, we had the Mongol conquest and then the famines in Europe, and then in China, and then in India, from 1315 to 1337. And so if the event of Revelation is true, we can expect there is a great pestilence that took place after 1337, right? Which would affect a quarter or one-fourth of the earth. Was that fulfilled? Uh, to remind you, if we go back to Revelation 6, 7 to 8, we looked at how death and Hades were killed by sword. We saw how it killed by famine. Now it mentions plague, and the plague would be caused by wild beasts or little animals of the earth. Was this also fulfilled historically? Well, let's look at history book. I think you all know the answer. It's called the Black Death. One of the greatest pestilences in human history is the Black Death, which peaked between 3048 and 1350. Is that coincidence? I don't think so. I think what we are uncovering are the events that took place in history that correspond to the prophetic events mentioned in Revelation or the fourth seal. This bubonic plague is known as one of the most devastating plagues in pandemic history. The infection is known to have been carried by oriental rat fleas living on black rats that traveled on merchant ships throughout the Mediterranean and Europe. These black rats, most likely the beasts of the earth mentioned in the prophecy of the fourth seed, carried the fleas that acted as the medium for spreading the infection caused by Yersinia pestis bacteria, the strain of bacteria originating from China and spread throughout Europe causing the reduction of Europe's population by approximately 30 to 60 percent from 1348 to 1420. Wow, the bubonic plague was brought about by a black rat or black rats. The black rats are little beasts. They are little animals. And because of these black rats, there was a spread of a certain infection, a bacteria, 
which caused the Black Death or the Bubonic Plague. The Black Death also devastated the Middle East, reaching Antioch in 1348-49, Mecca and Mosul in 1349, and Yemen in 1351. These successive pandemics caused massive depopulation in China, some two-thirds of the population died in eight geographically separate incidents from 1353 to 1354 after 90% of the people in Dubai had died in the initial outbreak. In Europe, some 70% of the people had died from the Black Plague by 1400s. Damascus, some 25 to 40% of the people died with a thousand dying horribly each day at the peak of the outbreak. The Black Death was many things, but it was not unique to Europe and did not start there. It came from China. And so when we look at the areas that were affected by the Black Death or the bubonic plague in 1351, this is a map. That's practically all the world, right? Look how much was affected by the Black Death or the bubonic plague. The total area that had fallen under the Black Plague comes to 34,000 or 34 million, I should say, 373,168 kilometers squared. And if we use that number and divide by the total land mass or the, the area and surface area for the land of the Earth, excluding Antarctica, which is 134,934,000, if we do the math, it computes to 25.5%. Again, what is 25%? That is what? One-fifth, one-half, one-third, what is it? One-fourth, right? A quarter, a fourth of the earth. And so when we look at the death produced by war, famine, and pestilence, suffice it to say, this is unprecedented, where you have people dying because of warfare, because of famine, because of pestilence, and the cause of their death had an effect over a quarter of the earth. And when we look at the events, they are in sequential order. 1279, the war, Mongol conquest, 1315 to 1337, the great famines, and then 1351, the Black Death. And so what we find here is the fulfillment of what seal again? The fourth seal. The rider is death because this event will bring much death throughout the world, brought about by war, by famine, and pestilence. Brothers and sisters, I don't think this is coincidence. When we look at the fulfillment of the first four seals, which many people call the four horsemen, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale green horse. And when we look at the details of the prophecy, it matches historical events, beginning with people supremacy in 534 AD, followed by the spread of Islamic terrorism in 800 AD, and then in 1000 AD, feudalism and serfdom. And then from 1279 to 1351, we have death and many people sent to their grave because of war, because of famine, and because of pestilence. And so we know that the four horsemen was fulfilled in these events that took place in history. And so we know, brothers and sisters, when we read scripture, 
the details that are written or recorded there. It's there for a purpose. What we need to do is look at these details and ask the help of Yahuwah to give us the proper understanding. It's a good thing we have the blessing of people who were able to research these historical facts. And because of the research, we can put together what a timeline of the events of the book of Revelation will look like and how it connects to us today, how it connects with the work of the assembly of Yahushua. Because we will show you when we keep going, when we keep looking at the other events in the book of Revelation, because we're not yet done. There's so many things to unpack still. But the one thing we will know is that all these events are connected in the end to the work of the assembly of Yerusha. You will see the pattern and you will see the connection to what we are doing today. But we cannot make that conclusion yet because we're only on the fourth seal. But so far, what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, when we look at the events of the past, there's something we need to understand about the sovereignty of Yahuwah Abba. What is that in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, 19 to 23? That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Brothers and sisters, sometimes when we look at the events of the past, like before seal events that we have studied so far, we saw a lot of pain, a lot of deception, a lot of fear. And when we look at what's happening in the world today, that same fear is something that many people feel. But what must we understand? When we go back and look at the events of the past, and when we look at the events that will take place in the future, even though they are terrifying events that bring fear in the heart of men, something we must always keep in mind. What is that? The Bible says, Yahuwah controls the course of world events. Sometimes when we look at the atrocities taking place in the whole, the whole world, it seems like Yahuwah God is no longer in control. He is. He is allowing these things to take place according to the, the choices that human beings have made. But it doesn't mean that Yahuwah does not have a plan. Because when we look at the chaos in the world today, there are those who say, there is no God. If there is such a thing as God, why? Because there's so much suffering in the world. Brethren, there's a reason why all of these events are happening. Yahuwah, when you think about what he allows and what he does not allow, he is sovereign. And the Bible says he controls the course of world events. And when he determines the course of world events, it's according to his wisdom, not our wisdom. Sometimes when we look at what's happening today, we use our logic, we use our, our human wisdom, and we make conclusions about God, we make conclusions about life. But there's something the Bible tells us about the wisdom and the ways of Yahuwah. What is that? In the book of Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says Yahuwah. 
and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If there are those who after looking at the events of history and look at the events of prophecy, have a lot of fear in their hearts because of what's to take place. And then we say to ourselves, there's no hope. Brethren, there is hope. You see, we need to understand the way of Yahuwah is different from our ways. His ways are higher than ours. We cannot possibly imagine what Yahuwah God has in store for each and every one of us. He's in control of all things. And everything is unfolding according to his plan, according to his purpose. Brethren, look around you. The events happening now, all of that is prophecy being fulfilled. And because Yahuwah is in control of everything, allowing what is happening, we should not be afraid. Do you know why we should not be afraid of terrifying events? Do you know why we should not be afraid of the upcoming beast? Do you know why we should not be afraid of the Antichrist? Do you know why we should not be afraid of human beings or disasters? This is what our King Yahushua said in the book of Matthew chapter 10, 28 to 31. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the prize of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Brothers and sisters, why should we not be afraid? No matter what's happening in the world today, the pandemic, the economy, war, violence, terrorism, why must we not, we not be afraid even if there's going to be an upcoming beast, if there's a threat against our life, why must we not be afraid? You know what our King Yahushua says? He says to not be afraid because you are valuable to the Father. Did you hear that, brethren? We, we are valuable to Yahuwah. How valuable are we to Yahuwah? Because of his care for us, he even knows the very hairs on our head. He numbers them. Yahushua is telling us our Father is thinking about us all the time. This day, what did you go through this day? What suffering did you experience? What thought did you have? What heartache did you feel? Yahuwah knows that. And our King Yahushua says, do not be afraid because Yahuwah knows everything about you, including our sins. But even though he knows our sins because there's nothing that we can hide from him. Nevertheless, the Bible says Yahuwah, he loves us. You know how much he loves us? He gave up his son for us. This is why we are confident no matter what happens. 
If we belong to Yahushua, no matter what happens, there's no reason for us to be afraid and every reason for us to hope because Yahuwah is there for us. Brethren, soon Yahuwah will send his beloved son and he will appear in the heavens and we will see him and be brought to him. But before that day comes, those who feel overwhelmed, those who fear, those who are overcome by the trials and the sufferings, the sicknesses in life, what should we do between now and the day when our Father will send Yahusha, our King? Let's read the final passage of our studies today in the book of Psalm 73, 23 to 26. Yet I always stay close to you and you hold me by the hand. You guide me with your instruction. And at the end, you will receive me with honor. What else do I have in heaven but you? Since I have you, what else could I want on earth? My mind and my body may grow weak, but God is my strength. He is all I ever need. Brothers and sisters, between now and the day of the end, when Abba Yahuwah will send his son, we're going to face many difficulties. We're going to face sicknesses. There will be times when we will feel so weak. There will be times when our health will fail us. But there's no reason to be afraid. What must we do when sometimes we feel like giving up? Yahuwah's holding out his hand. This is why the psalmist says, I always stay close to you and you hold me by the hand. Take hold of Yahuwah's hand. When you are in a place of darkness, look for Yahuwah's hand. Once you find it, take hold of his hand. Never, ever let go because he will guide us. When we feel close to Yahuwah, when he walks with us, what shall we feel? The Bible says, what else do I have in heaven but you? Since I have you, what else could I want on earth? My mind and my body may grow weak, but God, Yahuwah, is my strength. He is all I ever need. Brothers and sisters, can we say that with all of our heart? Can we say to our loving Father, Father, you are all that I ever need. Even if everything else is taken away from me, even if our health is taken away from us, can we say, since I have you, what else could I want? If we find that we are close to Yahuwah, that we walk with him, it doesn't matter what happens to the earth. Yahuwah will be enough. Our God is all that we will ever need. That is the message of the Holy Bible, brethren. That is the message of Scripture, the message of the book of Revelation. Do not hold on to your own power. Do not trust human strength. Instead, make Yahuwah your refuge, your strong tower, so that we can make it all the way to the end. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, merciful, and compassionate Yahuwah, Yahuwah, from heaven, 
kindly bestow your eyes upon your people. We mention your name, Yahuwah, because we recall how once you mentioned your own name and you showered compassion and loving kindness. We need that now. We call upon you, Yahuwah, may you comfort your people when the events taking place in the world today bring fear in the hearts of men. We will look up to you, make you our refuge. Loving Abba, come to our rescue. Help us find your hand. We will hold closely. We will follow you. Thank you for inviting us to walk with you. May you guide us and give us counsel that we will make the right decisions in our life and be fully prepared for our salvation. We are sinners before you. Loving Abba, yet again, forgive your people. Forgive us completely. And may you heal your servants. May you heal your sons and daughters, wherever they may be, even those in their hospital beds. From heaven, look upon them. Embrace them now. Reach out to them. You can do the impossible. What doctors are unable to do, you can do with your might. You can do with your love and compassion. Send forth, please, your Holy Spirit now and heal your people. Our King Yahusha, behold your servants. You are our King. We believe what you said. We will not be afraid because the Father loves us. You love us. Loving King Yahusha, be in our midst now. Strengthen, please, our faith. May your love give us peace that we may overcome the world. Father, thank you for giving us your message. Help us to be all the more prepared for that day when you will send your begotten son. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.